Amen. So last week we asked the question, what is the Bible? Can it be trusted? Why should I believe in the Bible? And we talked about how the Bible is the inspired word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Peter 1.20-21. 20 Every word in the Bible that we have today has been inspired by God. Yes, God used different authors, their personalities, their upbringings, but ultimately every word was inspired. We learned that the Bible contains the word of God. If you remember, I brought up one of my Bibles last week and I said, is this the word of God? And I said, is this Jesus? It's not Jesus. So the Bible, I wish I had my Bible with me, but I'll just hold this. The Bible contains the word of God. It Yes, it is the Word of God, but if you were to destroy a physical Bible, you would not destroy the Word of God. And I, and I kind of uh, put this on the screen to help us understand a little bit more. But Jesus is the personal manifestation of the Word of God, the embodiment of truth. So in, J- in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, John 1, 14. Jesus is the personal manifestation of the Word of God, John 14, 6. The Bible is the written manifestation of the Word of God. So the Word of God is eternal, but it, it has been, the Word of God has been uh, manifest to us through the Bible and through the person Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. Why do we start here? Because the Bible is the blueprint and foundation of God's house. It is a blueprint and foundation. That's why we have to start here. And I talked about last week how I wanted to just getting into building God's house and just saying, okay, let's just take God's word for what it says it is. It is the inspired word and then go from there. But many of us do not have a good relationship with the word of God. How many of us last week did something different and started incorporating Bible reading into our, into our daily lives each day? Okay. Hopefully you, hopefully you didn't raise your hand because you were already doing that. But we have to read the Bible every day. I'm going to get into why in just a moment. Um, we talked about how the Bible is the most unified book ever written. Even though there, there were 40 different offers, authors over a period of about 1,500 years that the Bible was written, there is one theme throughout. And we have uh, evidence to prove that. And I have a list on the screen. We talked about biblical prophecy last week. We talked about... Um, um, the, how the word is unified, but here are uh, 10 different, there, here's an article that you can, you can look up, and there's different articles, but 10 reasons why you can trust the Bible. Number one, fulfilled, pro- fulfilled prophecies. I talked about a little bit about that last week. There are many prophecies that the Bible said would happen, and they did happen, and history records that. Archaeological discoveries, um, the Bible's internal consistency, extra biblical writings. You can go to the second page. You can see some of these, the manuscript, manuscript evidence, the Bible's forthrightness about failures. I really like this one. Um, you would think that if, if a religion was starting, you would not want to highlight the figures in this story or in, that, in their holy book. You would not want to highlight their failures. But the Bible is very open and honest about failures. And why is that? Because the emphasis is not a man, but about one man, Jesus, and about his ability to help us in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our failures. And so you can look up that. You can look up that, um, that article later. You can look up other, ar- other articles. Uh, this ar- these arguments are all part of a practice called apologetics. And, I'll ha- and this is, we're going to get here some apologetic statements going forward, but apologetics is the religious discipline of defending religious doctrines through systematic argumentation and discourse. It comes from the word 
uh, apologia. It's a Greek word that means defense. And so there's a whole group of people that are interested and burdened with defending the Bible. So the article I mentioned is one way that we could defend the Bible. You can look at fulfilled prophecies, archaeological evidence, and, and other ways to prove and defend that the Bible is true. I wanted just to put these books on the screen so you can look up later. Uh, but The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel is a very, very uh, well-known book. It was actually made into a movie in 2017, arguing how we can have a faith that is reasonable, um, evidence that demands a verdict, life-changing truth for skeptical world. Josh McDowell, also really well-known apologist, and Cold Case Christianity. Uh, J. Warner Wallace is another really good book. I want to encourage you to um, go and, yes, believe in Jesus, but search the scriptures, search other outside evidence. Um, we do have a faith that is reasonable. Um, this is good for also witnessing to others. A lot of them have practical questions. Being able to answer some of their questions will help them come to know the Lord. And so uh, we talked a more about that, about a couple different areas last week, but I wanted to go ahead and put some of this up there for your um, research later on. The Bible is trustworthy. What I'm trying to get at with all this is the Bible is trustworthy. There is a reason it has stood the test of time and is still the best-selling book of all time. There are many people throughout history have tried to destroy Christianity. But the Bible has stood the test of time because it's not based on man's opinion, but on the Word of God. And the Word of God is indestructible. You cannot destroy Jesus. You cannot. He's the rock that crushes anything that comes against him. It is trustworthy, and we can be confident that there is evidence. However, and I really felt the need to re-emphasize this this week, even if we have all the evidence, let's, let's pretend that you had all the evidence you thought you needed to believe that the Bible is trustworthy or that God is real. Just because you had that evidence does not necessarily mean you would ultimately see the Bible as truth. That you would comprehend what you're seeing, the evidence, does not mean you would necessarily come to the conclusion that the Bible is true and believe it. Having evidence and having belief are two different things. Look what 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21 says. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly or the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. He said there was a time when God introduced himself to the world through wisdom, through academia, another way you can say it, through a way that could be um, comprehensively understood. But when God revealed himself that way, the world rejected him. And so it says, since God did not, they did not, did not accept him through the evidence, it pleased God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. The world is looking for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, the Messiah crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. It's a stumbling block to Jews because they have an understanding that the Messiah is going to come and take over the world. So this idea that their Messiah would die, be buried, does not compute with them. 
That is, a, that is not in alignment with what they expect the Messiah to be. And then it's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, that is hidden, it is hidden to those who are perishing. In their case, those who do not accept Jesus as Lord, do not accept the truthfulness of the word of God. The God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, and then he quotes Genesis 1, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, what am I saying? Paul, Paul is writing and he's saying that the world rejects God, rejects his word, rejects Jesus. It's foolishness to people who have education, who, are, who have an understanding of science, and it's, and it's a stumbling block to Jews. But for those of us who have believed in Jesus, who have taken that step of faith, he is Lord. And actually in, in verse 6 it says that who has done this? God has shown the light of the knowledge of God in Jesus. He's saying that we only know God through Jesus. And God is the one who has done this. It's not, we can't point to a scientist experiment. We can't look at all the evidence. And like I said, even if we had all the evidence, we would not come to this conclusion. Why? Because the truth is, all the revelation of God and the revelation of Jesus can only be understood through faith. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, or you can say evidence of things not seen. Faith is the evidence we have of things that we can't see yet or we can't explain yet. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, watch this, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We understand that God created the world not through science, but through faith. I don't have time. I was actually listening to an a interview earlier about the Big Bang Theory, and they believe, the, those who believe in evolution, the Big Bang, believe that the world was created in one moment, by Big Bang, by a thing they call the singularity. It is this intense, um, this one infinite point of intense, uh, t- intensely des- dense material, and then one day it just became nothing. And, and, and actually, the way they were describing it, um, they described it in a way where you can't see it. Something that you cannot see created everything that we have. So even those who believe in evolution have faith. You can't see God, and you can't see the singularity. What's the difference? I, remember, I like what uh, William Lane Craig said. He said, when, you, when a magician does a magic trick, at least you still have the magician. Those who believe in evolution don't even have the magician to pull the rabbit out of the hat. Meaning the rabbit being what we see and the magician being God. With, with, with Christianity, at least you have God. So it goes on to describe stories of faith in Hebrews 11, but I want to read this, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
Listen, it is impossible to please God without faith. At some point in your walk with the Lord, you're going to have to come to a place where with the little evidence or the much evidence that you have, you take a step forward and say, I believe that this person who came to die on the cross for me is my Savior, and that he, through the Word, through the Word of God, created everything that we see. Listen, the Bible can only be understood through faith, not through evidence. We do have evidence, but evidence doesn't necessarily equal belief. You have a lot of very, very smart people who have more evidence at their disposal, but still don't believe in God. Why? Because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. And actually, I believe that's why some of these things are left a mystery. There are some things that um, we understand, and there's some things we'll never understand. And I believe it's that way because if we understood everything, we would be God, and we wouldn't need God. And it's not that God wants us to need Him, but the truth is that we are born into a sin nature, and without Him, we'll die in our sins and we'll be lost forever. So there are some things I believe God leaves a mystery only to be understood by faith or accepted by faith because we need Him. If we understood everything, then we wouldn't need God. Our Christian faith is first grounded, I'm just reiterating this again, our Christian faith is grounded in our faith in Jesus as revealed through the Word and then supported by external evidence, by the fulfilled prophecies, by the archaeological evidence, by these other things that we listed. I love what Jesus said in John 20, talking about Thomas, doubting Thomas. He didn't believe that Christ had risen from the dead, and then he shows up to him, and he says, Jesus, now I believe. And Thomas said, and Jesus said, do you now believe because you've seen the nails in my hands and the, and the, and the mark in my side? Verse 29 of John 20, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we can believe the evidence, but ultimately we only understand, we can only please God through faith. Okay, here's some more questions. Question, why are there so many, uh, changing gears, why are there so many versions of the Bible? Which is the right one? We have the King James Version, the New King James, the English Standard, the New American Standard, New Living Translation, NIV, TLV, the Message. Which translation, which version is the right one? Who of y'all have had that question? Okay, a few of you. I'm preaching to some of y'all then. (laughs) This is an important question. Why? Many churches have actually split on this issue. Oh, you have the wrong version? Well, you have the wrong Jesus. I've, I've heard that personally. Now, it's important to understand no translation has the exact wording of the original documents. Why? Because we do not have the original documents. Those who hold the King James Version as the version that you're supposed to have really believe that when they translated that Bible in 1611, they were holding Paul's letters, they were holding Moses' letters, and they translated that from Greek and Hebrew into English. That's what they really believe if they, unless they've been educated. But the truth is, we don't have the original documents. What we do have is, just with the New Testament, over 25,000 ancient manuscripts um, that we have found throughout history, through, um, again, through archaeological digs and other things, of New Testament books. 25,000 manuscripts. Some of these are very small, just little pieces of paper, but some are, co- are more complete. And just to put that into perspective, how many of y'all have heard of Homer, the, the ancient Greek 
uh, writer. He wrote, uh, a, he wrote a, a, a story called the Iliad. We only have 2,000 copies of his. So we have 25,000, more than 10,000 uh, times more copies of the New Testament. So if, we, if you believe in, Ho, in the Homer's Iliad, then you better believe in the New Testament because we have 10 times more um, documents at our, at our disposal. Also, we have many more writings from early church fathers, uh, many more, more than 25,000. We have more writings of early church fathers that, that talk about the new, uh, different passages in the New Testament. And one of the, one of the people I was reading said that we could, we could construct the New Testament just from their writings, even if we didn't have the other documents. So we have a lot, a lot of uh, manuscripts that prove um, the New Testament was real. The translations we have today, whatever one you read, most of them, not all of them, but most of them are the, res- are the result of skillful men carefully copying and passing down handwritten manuscripts over hundreds and thousands of years. That's what we have today. How many of you have, how many of you have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Okay, th- that's some of the more popular manuscripts that we've discovered. I didn't have time to get that image. We've been to Israel and we've been to the place where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, but these, these documents were found between 1947, so recently, and 1956 in caves in Israel. And again, if you've been to Israel, you've seen these caves. Don't have time to go into the story, but they've discovered these documents, and you know what they found in them? The Dead Sea Scrolls contained fragments from every book in the Old Testament except for Esther. Every, so that proves, so... There are a lot of people who would have said, hey, no, I don't know if the, the Old Testament is real. We, ha- we found these documents that were sitting there for at least 1,800 years, about 1,800 years until they were found a little after um, Jesus ascended into heaven. They were kept there for almost 2,000 years, and they were kept intact. And so we do have, again, we do have a faith that can be trusted. This wasn't just created a couple hundred years ago or, or even 1,000 years ago. So they were discovered sitting there that long ago. But back to the question again, why these different translations? Well, I have a couple different reasons for the different translations. Number one, change in language. Change in language. So an example, the King James Version, that was written in 1611. How many of y'all have a hard time, if you've read it, reading the King James Version? Okay. The reason for different translations is because Words have different meaning today than they did even a hundred years ago. English has changed. And the King James Version wasn't the first English version of the Bible. I believe there was a, a version or two before it. If you were to try to read that version, it's, and it's in English, it's not in like German or another language, you would not be able to read it because the language has changed so much. I want to give you an example. Look at Mark ten fourteen. This is the King James Version. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, I'm going to put it on the screen. Do we have it? There we go. When Jesus saw it, he was much displeased, and he said unto them, suffer the little children. Now, if you stop there, you would think that Jesus is asking you to beat your kids. <laughs> suffer the little kids. Make them suffer. Some parent, I'm sure, heard that. Make, let them suffer. To come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God. But look at the English Standard Version. I don't know if I have that. No, I don't have that one. In the English it says, 
Um, it doesn't say suffer the children. It says let the children. So suffer used to, used to mean let, but now it means something different. So that's a reason we, that's a reason we have different translations because the language has changed. Look at um, James 2 verse 3. Here's another example. And ye, see there were, who uses ye except Kanye? And ye <laughs> have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. Well, if you, don't, you, if you only have one definition of gay, you're going to really wonder what the Bible's trying to say here. And say unto him, sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Look what it says in the English Standard Version. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing. So, gay used to mean fine, or good, or happy. That was another definition. But what the writers were actually intending to mean was fine clothing. So one of the reasons we had different translations is because of language. Another one, uh, a reason we have a different, tra- different translations is new discoveries. Greek words and Hebrew words that we didn't understand, maybe when the King James Version was written, we now understand because of uh, different discovery, different understanding of how the Greek was written back then or the Hebrew was written back then. Um, I was thinking of an example for this. Um, even Spanish is different than English. When, if you're seeing, how many of y'all know Spanish? How many know English? Okay, so you know that if you know both languages, things are said differently. And so I was actually trying to come up with an example and asked one of my Spanish friends to um, send me a sentence to illustrate this, how like sometimes words are backwards. And, and they sent me this. Hold on, I had it right here. They said, el pastor, say, say this when you preach, el pastor de la iglesia del reino es un hombre inteligente y guapo. I don't know what that means, but you can tell me later. I trust him. <laughs> so, so they have... Basically, at the end, okay, nobody sent that to me. I made that up. Um, that the, the pastor is a man, intelligent and handsome. But in English, you would flip it. He's an intelligent and handsome man. So that's just Spanish and English. Imagine these other languages, these, uh, that were e- even ancient languages. The reason I brought that up is to say it's impossible to have a perfect translation from the original documents. It's impossible the phrases are different. The meaning's different. What, what the scholars have done is, is they've done their best to translate what we have into something that we can understand today. Again, also older manuscripts have been found. For example, the King James Version uh, utilized manuscripts. The earliest manuscripts that they had back then in 1611 were manuscripts, I believe, from the 8th century, from the 800s. But as we've discovered more documents, we've discovered documents that are even older than that, from, the, from 400s, 300s, even 200s. And so when you, see, when you see some translations that take verses or passages, I forgot to write that down, but different passages out of the Bible, they're not just trying to edit the Bible because they don't like those passages. They're actually referencing the oldest documents. And you'll see, if you have a good Bible, they have footnotes. It'll say the earliest documents or manuscripts do not have this story. 
But they added in there anyway because that was part of tradition. Now, is that, does that mean we can't trust the King James Version because they use later documents or manuscripts? No, we believe that God allowed these documents to be, to be um, passed down through generations. So if you still read the King James Version or the New King James Version, you can trust it. Um, but we also believe that the Lord has given us the ability to find older documents. So I remember when I was trying to find, um, I actually had like a, a kind of little crisis when I was, I read, had, read, had read the King James Version all my life and then the New King James Version. And then I went to seminary. I was learning some of these things. And I was like, well, which version do I read? I, there was a moment, I, there was a, a, like a short season where I didn't even read the Bible because I thought I got to know what the original words were. I got to know what, I got to make sure that what I'm reading is exactly what Paul wrote, what Moses wrote, what James wrote, what these different authors wrote. And I prayed and I prayed and I came to the ESV, but one of the things that I realized in that season was our faith is not in a Bible translation, it's in Jesus. The Bible contains the Word of God. The Bible doesn't save us, the Word of God saves us. And because the Word of God is a person, we have the author with us that is able to interpret, and interpret different verses in, that we don't understand or verses we don't understand to a further degree. Our faith is not in a translation. So I, would, um, I think we have that image. I want to go ahead and, and show you how these different translations come together. So Bible translation comparison. Translations uh, can be formed into one or two groups or, in the, or somewhere in the middle. Into formal equivalents or dynamic equivalents. A formal equivalent Bible is a Bible that uses a more word-for-word interpretation or translation of the Bible. So, even though you can't, um, a, a literal word-for-word translation would be very hard to understand. And so these translations on the left try to, as best as possible, figure out what the earliest manuscripts said and then put it into something we can understand. To the, to the far right is the thought-for-thought thought, uh, Bibles, the NIV, the NLT. They're not going to hold as strictly to word-for-word, um, word, but they're going to give you the more general idea of what the authors were trying to convey. Does that make sense? So the me- <coughs> excuse me. if you read the message, it's a complete paraphrase. Um, I, think it's, I think it's okay to have a message Bible, but I think it's really good to have a Bible as well that's more word for word. That, that way we know we're reading something that was more in line with what the, uh, exactly what the first writers were, were saying. It's good to have multiple Bibles. Many times I'll be reading something in the ESV. That's the version that I use. I'll be reading something and I'm like, I don't, underst- I don't really understand what they're trying to say. So I'll go to the NLT or even the message sometimes to see what those, um, those, those transcribers were were are saying about that story to give me an idea. And then I'll compare with other ones. Um, but I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, um, find something that you can read. Maybe you can understand the more word for word, or maybe if you have a hard time reading like the KJV or the ESV or the NASB, start off with the NLT. It's good to have different translations. So that's the reason we have different translations. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, good. Next question. Why does the Catholic Bible have more books than our Bible? Anybody, anybody ever wondered that? Okay, real quickly, um, I'm going to go through this quickly because I'm running out of time. There is a phrase, I don't have this on the screen, called the canon of Scripture or the canonicity of Scripture. The word canon comes from a Greek word that means rule or measuring stick 
When you hear about uh, the canon of the Bible, you're talking about the books of the Bible, that, the, a group of books that are, to, are believed to be biblically inspired, or um, I'm sorry, to be divinely inspired. So in the 300s, there were a couple of councils that formally accepted a group of books, the books that we have in our Bible, to be divinely inspired. There are many other books. Some of them were forgeries. Some of them were um, heresy. And some of them were just letters by other church fathers. But what these council, councils did is they looked at all the writings and they, they said, we believe that the Holy Spirit is leading us to accept these books. And actually, these councils didn't pick them. The early church even 100 to 200 years before that, had already accepted that certain books were divinely inspired and some weren't. These councils just formally recognized it so that you may look to one council or another council, but the church had actually already accepted some of them. There's a group of books that uh, called the Apocrypha that are found in the Catholic Bible. It's 15 books. I don't have time to read, to read each of them, but Apocrypha means hidden. The Catholic Bible contains these extra books. Now, you have to understand that the Catholic Church didn't formally accept these books as part of their canon until the 1500s. The the Apocrypha was, these books we find in the Catholic Bible that are not in our Bible, were not accepted by the early church until the Catholic Church accepted it. Now, does it contain uh, some good information? Does it contain some doctrine? Yes, but... It was not accepted by the early church. And so that's why Protestants do not accept it. And Pro- so we are Protestants. Protestants mean, Protestant comes from the word protest. We protested the Catholic church in the 1500s. We broke away, and that's why we're Protestants and they're Catholics. And then <coughs> there's also the Eastern Orthodox Church, which they, which they also have the Apocrypha as part of the Bible. Now, this may be a hard thing to like wrap your, he- your head around, but like, what do you mean like this church accepts this, this church... This is part of our Christian faith that we believe that the early church fathers were led by the Holy Spirit to bring the Bible, the books of the Bible that we have together, and we believe that God led them. Um, it's by faith. And if you, if you get into that, you can get into like the way I did with the translation. Well, which one is the right one? You'll, you'll never come to, to a place where you, you're, you'll feel satisfied. You have to at some point believe that we're right where we're supposed to be and that Jesus is going to speak to us through what we have. An- another question that I brought up last week was, what about inconsistencies in the Bible? I brought up the, the, the story of the resurrection. How many of y'all went home and read the resurrection, the different four different accounts? Okay, nobody. All right. Next question. Um, if you read the Bible... There are seemingly inconsistencies. The resurrection, for example, you have a difference in how many angels were there, how many women went, what time they went. And if you're just reading it at face value, you may think, hey, they're contradicting one another. Um, there's also other, other things, factual mistakes, ethical mistakes that people can argue about why the Bible is not trustworthy. Well, just real quickly to uh, go into the resurrection story. If you look at the main elements of the story, they all are in alignment with one another. Joseph of Marathia took Jesus' body, put it in the tomb. Some people showed up. Some angels rolled the stone away, and then some people talked to Jesus. The core elements are all the same. The secondary, um, the secondary details are different, though. And 
An example that I just kind of thought of when I thought about illustrating this was, let's say there are five people or four people, we have four Gospels, four people that witnessed a car wreck. Let's say they're all there and they're at different, they're at different vantage points. If they're paying attention, they're going to see the same core things happen. They're going to see, oh, there's a car wreck. That person ran a red light. That person ran. That cop chased them down. Just kidding. That's a little too much. But the core examples, the core, the core details will be the same. The secondary details may be a little different because they were looking at different things. Does that make sense? Um, if they saw, all saw the same thing, then they, they would, the, the, the person taking the report may say, maybe they all collaborated with each other. Maybe, they're, maybe only one person saw, or maybe they just brought it together. But having different details help, actually helps with the trustworthiness of the story. So that's one way to, ex, to explain inconsistencies. Um, another, other things that people point to are factual mistakes. Well, the Bible says that this person lived at this time, but there are, there's no evidence in any other um, documents throughout history that this person existed. Uh, this was the case with, a, with a, a king, an Assyrian king in the Old Testament named Sargon. The Bible talked about how this king uh, invaded the northern tribe of Israel and took away the, the, tri- the ten tribes of Israel and dispersed them from their land, took their land away from them. Well, there's been, there was no, up until recently, there was no evidence of any Assyrian king. And so um, um, people who criticized the Bible would point to that and say, hey, see, the Bible's not true because there's no evidence. Well, Recently, I don't have the date, they discovered the palace of this king. And what once was a, a mythical person is now a person on whom they have more evidence that he existed than any other Assyrian king that ever lived. So what am I trying to say? We may have evidence for, um, for things that happen in the Bible. We may not have it. It may be that we just haven't discovered it yet, or it may be that it is not to be discovered because we have to walk in faith. So as you're reading, I just wanted to make this point because you're going to be reading. I've, I remember there was a point when I read something and I thought, wait, that doesn't make any sense. And the enemy right in that moment put a thought in my head, see, you can't trust the Bible. And there for a moment, I wanted to go down that road. And the Lord said, no, come against that. And I don't remember if I, if I discovered it, but I, I, don't know if, I don't know if I researched it and find out the answer to my question, but um, just because things don't align with one another does not necessarily mean that they don't ultimately align. It just means that you don't understand it yet. We can trust the scriptures. We can trust their faithfulness uh, to telling us who Jesus is. Okay, last question. How do I read the Bible? How do I read the Bible? This first point may be very um, silly, but buy a Bible. Buy, get a Bible. Most people who ask this question do not own a Bible. So buy a Bible. Um, it's good to have multiple translations. These are the ones that I recommend. English Standard Version, NASB. That, the NASB is probably the translation that's most word for word of all the translations. Uh, the New King James Version, the good version. New International Version, NLT, more thought for thought version. Get a study Bible. I encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, get a study Bible. A study Bible will break down different chapters of the Bible, different stories in the Bible, even sometimes words in the Bible. That's a good way to read the Bible so you can understand um, what, what you're reading. Find other resources. Now, version is a great resource. 
Um, that's, that's the app that I use on my phone. And quite honestly, I rarely pick up a physical Bible. I did last week, but I, before that, I hadn't touched a physical Bible in a long time. I can easily research uh, different ideas. I can look up stories. The, uh, I, and I don't utilize this enough, but I know the U, U version has, um, has different videos to explain different stories in the Bible, uh, different ways to interact with the Bible. I, if you don't have a Bible app, I really encourage you to download the U version. There's other good versions as well. Um, there are different, I, I just looked up a couple different articles. How to Read and Study the Bible Yourself by Benjamin Wendell. If you don't know, if you want more information on how to read and study the Bible, go to this article, read it. Um, how to Pray, Prayer, Learning from Jesus. David, David Ingrell uh, will, has, has an article on teaching us how to pray. So there's a lot of good information. So yes, you have your Bible, but you also have some of these other resources. Another good resource is the Bible Project. Um, they specifically use a lot of video content to bring the Bible to life. Um, that's, this is great for our kids. Bible dictionaries, Bible encyclopedias, commentaries, concordances, devotionals. These are all extra biblical resources that you can use to study the Bible. But honestly, I, wanna, I just, I just want to um, encourage you. You really don't need a lot of different tools. I would say get a good Bible. Get a good study Bible. Um, if you've never read the Bible before, go through uh, the Bible in one year. There's a Bible in one year plan on version that breaks down, um, not in, in great detail, but what you've, what you've read. If you, I promise you, if you start incorporating some of these things, you're going to understand what you're reading a little bit better. Buy a Bible, get extra resources. And lastly, this is going to surprise you too, ask the author. You have the author of the book you're reading not just sitting next to you, but in you. And actually, I would say, before you, start, you, before you start looking at these different resources to understand a passage, ask Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I've been trying to prepare a sermon or trying to understand something. I said, God, I don't understand this. I've done some research. I said, Lord, would you just show me the meaning? And he did. And it was amazing. It was, it was amazing to understand and to see just some of the revelation that came just from asking him. We have the author sitting with us. Where should I start reading? That's another good question. Ask God again. God, where should I start reading? God has a unique way of speaking to us anywhere in the Bible. Anywhere. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. He can speak to us anywhere. But if you were to ask my recommendation, I would say start with uh, John, the book of John, start with the book of Romans. The book of Romans is kind of like the constitution of our Christian faith that explains how we're saved, why we need to be saved. How often should I read? Here's another good question. How often should I read? I want to ask a question back to you. How often do you eat or drink? You are a body, soul, and spirit. Your spirit needs food. Look at Jeremiah 15, 6. Jeremiah says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. How many of you need more joy in your, in your life? <coughs> Eat his word. For I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Hebrews 4, 4. Matthew 4, 4. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We don't eat by bread alone. 
We don't eat just with, with what, burritos and tacos and enchiladas and whatever else we eat throughout the day. God's word is our food. 1 Peter 2, verse 2, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This also answers the question, why should I read my Bible? Because you need it for food. Now, some, of, some people may say, well, you really think I should read my Bible as often as I eat or drink? That's too much. Like, that's a lot. And I had this thought, well, some of us eat entirely too much, and you can tell. <laughs> it doesn't stop you from eating. It doesn't stop you from drinking. How much more do we need God's Word? We may think, well, I'm okay. If you are, there are many people who are living in depression, living in fear, living in hopelessness. You are malnourished. That, that's, that's what it is. If we would learn to feed ourselves, this is, this is just the amazing thing. If we would learn just to feed ourselves every day, you would not deal with some of the things you're dealing with. You wouldn't because you're feeding yourself. The Word of God is the foundation for everything that we do. When we come together on a Sunday morning, when we're living out our Christian life, it is the foundation. It is trustworthy. And if we're going to not just survive, but thrive on this planet, we need God's Word. I want to encourage you, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. I want to encourage you. This has helped me tremendously, and I hadn't done this um, for years and years, but something that has helped me tremendously is becoming accountable to somebody. There are a group of people here that went through the Bible in 100 days. If you did that, can you stand? I'm just going to punch you out. Sandra, Denise, is Miriam in here? Um, over here, Valerie. We went through the Bible in 100 days. Hold on, hold the, hold the applause. Yeah, no, yeah, go ahead and stand. Their mom went through it too. We went through the Bible. My mom went through it in 100 days. We text each other every day. And I, pr I promise you, when you see other people texting and you're not texting, it makes you want to step up and start texting and start reading and so you can keep up. This helped us get through the Bible. Being accountable. That's a whole other sermon. But thank you, ladies. You can, you can be seated. Um, we went through the 10 to 12 chapters every single day. Every, and it was hard. And, and some days when you're two or three days behind, that is a lot of reading for, the one, day, the next, for, for one day. But we understood... And they can attest to this, how different their life has been since they started reading that much because they started feeding themselves. This is my prayer. We're going to keep going in this series. We're going to talk about different doctrines. But the Word of God is our foundation. If you're not reading, if you're not investing time in God's Word, it really doesn't matter what I say after this. Because you're going to be malnourished, you're going to be depressed, you're going to be overcome by the, the things of this life. But if we will make God's word our foundation, we're going to have a strong foundation to build many things in our lives and in our family's lives.